Hi, it's Phoebe. This is our last episode of 2016, and we want to say thank you so much for listening to Criminal and coming out to live events and for all of your tweets and emails. We read every single one. To close out the year, we thought we'd bring you two lighter stories. We hope you like them. We certainly had a lot of fun putting them together. So, here you go. So what has your experience with customer service been in the past? I mean, have, is, are you just like everyone who hates when they have to deal with this stuff? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. It, I immediately go to the place of like, I've done something wrong. You know, uh, my credit card company calls me, even if it's good news, and I feel like I'm going to the principal's office. Um, I just never want to get a call from anybody in a cubicle who I don't know. This is Dave Holmes. You might know him from his work on MTV as a VJ in the 90s. He's also a writer and a comedian. And earlier this year, he found himself in a tricky situation. I was uh, behind the wheel of my car. Um, I had gone to like one of those crazy hard like CrossFit classes. And, uh, and I left and I was a little woozy in the head and not quite myself. And it, like it takes a minute for you to recover and to become you again after those. Like if you really go hard. Dave had left his phone in the car during the class, and when he looked at it, he saw that he had missed a call from Delaware, and there was a voicemail. It was an automated call from the Internal Revenue Service about a lawsuit that was being filed against him. And here's the thing. Like, because, as I've told you, I have a history of being a tiny bit gullible and to always think that I'm being called to the carpet, I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. And I had been audited in the year 2000, which was a huge bureaucratic, you know, paperwork, crazy nightmare. I ended up not owing anything at all, which was great. But when he got this call, he immediately thought, oh no, it's all over. He called back terrified. And Dave says the man who answered explained that he was following up on a letter the IRS had sent in the mail, indicating that Dave owed the government $4,500. So I was like, oh, okay, uh, well, I didn't, I didn't get it. And I'm sure my voice is like starting to get really throaty and panicky. And, uh, and I was like, well, I, I didn't get it, but uh, okay, well, what do I do? And they were like, uh, well, you have, to, you have to go to the bank and withdraw the money and, uh, and wire it to us today. Uh, because oh, also they said, um, we'll, we'll freeze your accounts. Also, we have a warrant out for your arrest. We've, uh, we've revoked your driver's license and uh, the police have your uh, license plate number. And if they see you out driving, they'll pull you over and take you to jail. And I said, wait a minute. It's been my understanding, because I have been audited. It's my understanding that all of your communication with me needs to take place through my tax preparer. And they're like, well, we called him. And I was like, well, it's a her. And uh, and I was like, well, did you? Because she didn't try to get a hold of me, and I'm pretty sure she would. And uh, and they were like, we're going to put you on hold. And I said, okay. And then they just hung up. And that's when Dave Holmes got an idea. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. So I called back, like, crying. I got on the phone uh, with whoever it was who answered who introduced himself as Eric Johnson, Officer Eric Johnson. So I was like, all right, this is terrific. And, uh, and, I, and I said, you know, tell me, what can I do? I need to make it right. I can't go to prison. I can't go to prison. I have a family. And he said, okay, I need you to calm down. Uh, what you're going to do is you're going to go to a bank 
and you're gonna uh, withdraw $4,500. Like the actual amount was like $4,352 or whatever, but he was just like, take out $4,500. And I was like, yeah, we should round up, right? And he's like, yeah, yes, we should round up. Dave has taken some improv classes. He knows how to commit himself to a scene. And he'd already gone this far. Why not give it his all and see what happens? He pulled over so he could concentrate. So I, I like, opened and closed the door and made little, like, footstep noises. And I, like, did a whole thing between me and the teller. I was just like, um, uh, I'd like to withdraw $4,500. Uh, yes, sir. Just like, just dim in the background. Just uh-huh. like, uh, like, like the uh, Miss Othmar from uh, Peanuts. Okay. You know what I mean? Not an actual trombone, just a muffled voice. And uh, and then I pretended to get back into the car, and uh, and and then like and then I oh, and then I had to go to a Bank of America to deposit it into an account, and they gave me the the routing number and the account number. Dave pretended to drive to Bank of America. And when he told Officer Eric Johnson that he had arrived at the bank, he was put on hold. And, like, I can only imagine that he was just like, we got one! Dave said he wanted to talk to a bank teller, just to make sure there were no issues. And Officer Johnson flipped out. No, you can't do that. It's actually, this is a, this is a federal case, so it's illegal for you to talk about it with the bank teller. And I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect. Thank you so much for telling me that. Dave said he was about to go in and make the deposit. He was just there in his car, making more little sound effects to make it seem real. And then he came back on the line. And I was like, I did it. I did it. I deposited the money. And uh, and I could just tell they were like, this is the greatest day of our lives. We have $4,500 from an idiot. And uh, and then another person got on. And uh, and he was like, okay, read me, you know, did, you made the deposit. And I said, yes. Yes, I did. And, and I think... You know, it was actually me. I said, you know, I, let me read you what's on the receipt that they gave me. And he was like, you don't actually have to do that. And I was like, no, I really should. And he said, okay. And uh, can I swear? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I was like, um, I'm just going to read. I'm going to read every word. Uh, this says, uh, you are the worst fucking grifters who have ever lived on the face of the earth. This is the dumbest, most transparent scam in the world. And someday... Somebody's going to come at you with something like this, and you're going to fall for it because you're fucking stupid. You're not good at scamming, and you should stop. And if, if one person falls for this, I, I, I hope a piano fucking falls on your head. You, like, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. And uh, an officer Doug or whatever said, I am very sorry, and hung up on the phone. Oh, really? That was it. Hung up on the phone. That was it. He actually apologized, and he hung up the phone. But that isn't all Dave did. He was so furious, and also feeling somewhat victorious at this point, that when he got home, he started tweeting. The whole story, 140 characters at a time. And as I did, I started to notice that, like, people... Because it was all just kind of coming out of me very quickly. It was in a series of, like, 50 or so sort of tweets, and I told I told the whole thing. And, and, I, and then I started to notice that my mentions were sort of blowing up, and people were telling other people about it. And, uh, and I told the whole story and I ended it with, here's the number and, you know, be sure to talk to officer Eric and officer, you know, Kristen or an officer Doug or whoever, let them know how I feel. And people called the number. Some even got through. And then the next day, the number was disconnected. Dave's last tweet was, I'm off to the bank to report this account and routing number. Be good to each other, my friends. 
This October, police raided call centers on the outskirts of Mumbai and took more than 700 people into custody for their suspected involvement in an IRS scam that involved calling Americans and telling them that if they did not pay back taxes in the range from $500 to $60,000, the IRS would raid their home within the hour. The scam was estimated to bring in $150,000 a day. And according to the Treasury Inspector General, nearly 7,000 victims have collectively lost more than $36 million to IRS scams since October 2013. We encountered this next story when we went to Louisiana to report the story about Tony, the tiger at the truck stop. We spent a few days in and around Baton Rouge, collecting interviews for a few different stories. And one of the people we met is a retired attorney who agreed to speak with us, if we agreed not to use her real name. One day the judge called and asked me to come and stand with this person who had been raping women from Texas to Florida, and everybody was aware of it, was in the news and so forth. Caroline is 80 years old and lives in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where she practiced law for many years. She didn't practice criminal law, but in small towns, she says judges could ask lawyers to step in and do whatever was needed. So the judge asked Caroline if she'd just stand with the defendant while he pled guilty. And uh, I said, Judge, I'm wearing slacks. The judge didn't allow women in uh, slacks in his courtroom. And he said, well, it's okay. It's, it's not a, an open court. So I went over there, and I talked with this person for about an hour. His name was John. John Simonis pled guilty and was sentenced to multiple life sentences at Louisiana State Penitentiary for rape, burglary, and auto theft. Decades passed. Caroline retired from the practice of law and did some occasional work with a mental health facility in Jackson, Louisiana, and sometimes went out to Louisiana State Penitentiary, also known as Angola. And on one summer day, when she was in her early 70s, she was making that trip to Angola and remembered John Simonis. It was a bloody hot day. It was in the summer. It was July, August. I had a little Mazda hatchback with... uh, poor air conditioning and uh, I got I was thinking on the way out there that you know I should visit this person John whom I had um, stood with when he entered guilty plea in this little town why would you want to visit this guy again because I felt sorry for him no one visited him but when she got to the prison she was told that she could not see John Simonis or any of the inmates because there was a problem with what she was wearing. They told me I could not go into the facility wearing this denim jacket that I had on. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, we don't let any any visitors wear denim in the facility because they may be mistaken for um, inmates. What did the denim jacket look like that you were wearing? Can you describe it? I can show it to you, but that's not going to help this. Uh, Sissy Spacek 
wore that denim jacket in a coal miner's daughter. It's a J. Jill. And it has uh, the buttons that are covered. And it's kind of loose, uh, long sleeves. But uh, anyway, that was the rule, and they told me I'd have to take it off. And I said, well, I don't want to take it off because I just have a T-shirt on under here, and I, I'm not wearing a bra. And they said, oh, well, you know, you'll have to get a bra. And so I had traveled out there. It was an hour and a half in the heat, and they said, you can go back to Baton Rouge and get a bra. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that. It's too hot, and I've already spent an hour and a half doing this. So uh, they said, well, you can't go in unless you get a brassiere on because you're not going to go in in a T-shirt without a brassiere. Caroline continued to argue with the guards, asking them to explain what exactly the problem was. And they said they didn't make the rules. No one was allowed to go in wearing a denim jacket, and women could not go in without a bra. And they weren't going to make any exceptions to the rule when it was perfectly obvious that there was little chance of my arousing the inmates at age 72. Do you often not wear a bra? <laughs> no comment. Um, why didn't you just at that point say, this is, I'm going to just try another day? Because it was hot. It's an hour and a half. It's not pleasant going out there. It takes an hour and a half to get there. And then you wait and you wait and you wait. It's not a trip that I enjoy any time of year, but especially not in the uh, July or August. Caroline's resourceful. She thought to herself, where can I find the nearest woman? Which wasn't going to be that easy. Angola is in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana. But about a mile from the prison, there is a tiny post office. And she thought, what the hell? Maybe I can borrow a bra. When I drove away, I thought, aha, that little post office is there. I'm just going to go in and ask the post lady uh, if she would consider that. And I know it was pretty outrageous, but I wanted to visit him. I feel sorry for people there. I really do. I know they've committed all kinds of uh, crimes, but they lead such a solitary existence. Um, I wanted to be sure that trip was worth what I wanted. So Caroline walks into the tiny post office, and lo and behold, the postal worker was in fact a woman, but she wasn't alone. There was a man in there getting something, and she leaned toward me and she said, can I help you? And I said, yes, but I'll wait. So I waited until this person left and I told her my predicament. I said, you know, I want to visit this person. I've come all the way in the heat. And I was wondering if you would rent me your bra for just about an hour. And she looked at me very strangely. I think she was a little bit scared of me because uh, it was an unusual request. And I had explained everything, and she finally, you know, we talked a little while, and she finally uh, relaxed, and she said, okay, but she says, I have to go back and take it off, which she did, came back. The bra was much too big for me, but it was a bra. When you went back to the guard desk, when you got back to Angola with this borrowed bra, which you might have looked, did you look a little ridiculous in it because it was bigger? Yes. You did? Yes, but they didn't question whether I was wearing a bra. I guess they figured that out. Caroline went in and met with John Simonis for about an hour and a half. And the woman at the post office was left there, waiting on customers with no bra, because she just handed it over 
to a 72-year-old stranger. And when I came back, she was still there. The post office was still open, thank goodness. And I offered to pay her. And she says, oh, no, you're not going to pay me for that. I said, well, I'm going to give you just five so you can get a six-pack of cold beer for your boyfriend. And uh, she was reluctant to take it, but she did. I just left it on the counter and thanked her profusely. I don't think I would have cooperated. I'm trying to think if I would be generous, kind of a generous heart. Maybe I would say, you know what, just keep it. I don't need you to come back. Keep what? Keep the bra. If I had gone to all that trouble, you know. And it to me, you would have said, well, she didn't. Not everybody thinks like you. Criminal is produced by Lauren Spohr, Nadia Wilson, and me. Audio mixed by Rob Byers. Our intern is Alice Wilder. Special thanks to Russ Henry. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com, where you can see our brand new t-shirt designs, and we even have tote bags. If you'd like one of these things for a last-minute Christmas present, order now, and we'll get it in the mail to you right away. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a collection of the best podcasts around. Shows like The West Wing Weekly, a podcast about the much-loved Aaron Sorkin TV show, The West Wing. It's co-hosted by Joshua Molina and song exploders Rishi K. Shearway. The West Wing Weekly goes behind the scenes of each West Wing episode with special guests and actors. It's great. And there's another new Radiotopia show, The Bugle, with Andy Zaltzman, a brilliant and funny satirical show about the week's news, hosted by Andy with co-hosts like Wyatt Sinak and Helen Zaltzman. Go listen. Radiotopia from PRX is supported by the Knight Foundation and MailChimp, celebrating creativity, chaos, and teamwork. And thanks to AdZerk for providing their ad-serving platform to Radiotopia. Thanks very much for listening this year, and until next year, I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Radio Tokyo.